Hey, so we're here with Michael Stevens. Michael is a former professional soccer player for the San Francisco Deltas, LA Galaxy, and Chicago Fire. Uh, he's a two-time MLS Cup champion with the LA Galaxy, played soccer at UCLA, uh, was Pac-10 Player of the Year, and also grew up in Chicago playing soccer. He's currently a scout for the Chicago Fire, so has a lot of experience as both a player uh, and on the business side of professional sports. So today we're here to ask him about his experience um, as both a player and scout using technology. Um, so to start, uh, Mikey, I think what would be best is just to hear about your background, um, kind of growing up playing in Chicago, just how technology has changed since you started playing. Yeah, um, as a youth soccer player, it was basically non-existent when I was playing. Um, now that I've had some different experiences and kind of seen how things are operating now, that is no longer the case. So now video is used, whether it's highlight films or coaches making points, probably all the way down to like U12. Um, when I was coming through the ranks at the youth level, uh, we didn't, I even played youth national teams. And at that time, we still were not even using any video. Um, so in a full-time program, I was in the U17 residency program, for example, we weren't even using video at that time. Uh, now, I think if you go there, everything's being filmed. Um, what they're doing with that film, I'm not totally sure, um, but it's definitely coaching, um, tactics, and then also the individual side to helping uh, individual players to uh, find new opportunities through making highlight films or whatever the case may be. So definitely a lot of changes. Cool. Um, so one thing that we've talked about in the past so you played for a bunch of different pretty famous coaches, uh, Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena, both national team coaches. Your coach at the Fire was a former player on Atletico Madrid, and the San Francisco Deltas coach is now the Vancouver Whitecaps coach. So curious uh, how they approached technology and video or, or if they did things differently or just generally um, kind of what varied in their coaching style. Yeah, uh, great question. I think that Probably the main difference that you see from coach to coach is, um, you know, some focus on showing you examples from your own team. So, and, and individually. So, uh, you know, looking at past games where your coach might say, hey, here's a couple clips where we could have, you know, drawn our line a little bit higher on the defensive side. Um, or calling you in and looking at your past game and saying, uh, hey, Michael, you could have, in these five situations, done a better job opening your body angles to be able to play out of pressure. Um, the other approach that I've seen that some of my coaches uh, did, and Bob was, Bradley was big on this one, which I thought was really, really helpful, was actually showing you cases of other teams' games. So let's say we wanted to play a high-pressing style Um Showing another team in a different part of the world, or I guess it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be a different part of the world, but of a team who does this really well. So, you know, it's nice to get visuals on some of the things that you've done in the past, but it can also be helpful to try to instill new ideas in players on some other teams. So saying, you know, hey, take a look at how quickly Barcelona is recovering the ball in the attacking third from these five plays. Like, this is what the players are doing, and just having that visual part of it uh, will allow the players to kind of conceptualize what the coach wants you to do. Cool. Um, so one thing I always wonder about on that note 
So like if I watch Pep Guardiola or hear people talk about him or Jurgen Klopp or any of those European guys, everyone will talk about them like they're tactical geniuses. Um, and it's interesting you point out that Bob would show you clips from that type of coach. How much detail would they go in, uh, your coaches go into the X's and O's um, versus just kind of like the high level ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think that the coaches that I've liked to play with, play, play for the most, um, you know, they'll paint a picture early through, you know, giving examples on big picture themes and kind of at the beginning, you build that base. So you build the, the identity of your team. Um, a lot of that stuff is high level, big picture things, looking at other teams who do it generally well, um, just to give you pictures of how it looks. And then, you know, as you start to have that base, uh, you can use that base to work off of and start to get into the nitty gritty. So it's almost like building your fundamentals in a system. Um, and then once you have the fundamentals built, you can then move into specific instances. So you need to have that core of your identity, both tactically um, and individually. And then from there, let's say your team starts to kind of look the way you want it to look. From there, you can start to dive into specific situations where, you know, your team needs adjusting. If you're getting beaten a certain way, or even with an individual player, if an individual player is not quite making the right movements on defense or showing in the right positions on offense, I think, you know, you can start with that big picture, how it looks from certain clubs, and then from there start to start to get into the, the nitty-gritty and details after you have that part down. Gotcha. Cool. Um, so I think through your career, you've been considered like a pretty tactically smart player. Um, were there any things you did that you think were unique compared to other people that kind of gave you a good sense of tactics and strategy and what you should be doing on the field? Yeah, it's funny. I've, I actually don't think that I was very tactically aware, um, especially at the beginning of my career. Um, I think as I got older, I think throughout my career, I had issues where I would actually, I was a hardworking player, but that can be, you know, that's not always necessary. And that's not always necessarily being tactically aware. And I think that kind of one of the issues that I had was like an over eagerness. A lot of times when my team didn't have the ball, um, you know, unnecessarily pressing guys as well as running out of position. Um, and I think that that's a, an issue that a lot of American players face is that they don't really, at least when we were, when we were growing up, I think a lot of this has changed is we didn't really do much tactically. Um, we didn't ever run through systems of play or anything like that. Right. Your coach puts you out there in a certain system, but, um, I don't think that we had quite the detail as far as tactics that players do now and definitely that players do in other parts of the world. Makes sense. One thing that I heard recently that was really interesting, so I was talking to someone from Bournemouth in the English Premier League, and he mentioned that they would do things like have the U18s coach the U16s or the U14s coach the U12s. Uh, what do you think about the idea of doing that? So having players kind of become uh, forced to improvise in a coaching role? Oh, good question. I don't, oh, um, it's hard for me to answer without ever going into it, but I would say, you know, you all, you, you see this also with Golden State, right? The Golden State Warriors, they all, like, you'll see their players regularly, like, running plays on, running plays in timeouts, and even, I think, like, filling in and coaching sometimes. I think at that level, it makes sense. Uh, they're already, like, a fully, 
refined team and they're all full professional. I think um, doing it with kids is a little bit different because you want to be careful about having your players turn into coaches. Um, you know, you don't want everybody on the field to, to start to think they're the coach and start to generate too many different ideas. Um, but I think that, you know, in some cases it could probably be useful, um, but very interesting. I haven't ever heard of anybody doing that. Yeah, I thought so too. It was kind of wild. Um, and I guess my follow-up question, which I already have answered, was if you think video would be a good tool for that, um, basically having you know peers break down each other's games, because um, it kind of gives them yeah, a I think that, to think about that a little further. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. I think that they, I think that that could make sense. I think it would even probably be better to say have your U16s analyze the U14, but not give not to the U14s, right? So you know, taking points from other teams' games, knowing that it's the same style the U16s want to play, uh, having them relay what they see good and what they see bad to their coach. So not necessarily coaching those players, but just, like, taking ideas from it. Makes sense. Another thing that I find kind of interesting and I'm curious to get your take on, so college soccer, I know a lot of teams spend a lot of money on analytics and data. And, they, you know, the three the season is three months long, and I, I see people do a lot of this, but I don't really understand what they do with all that information. Like, obviously, there's all this talk about money ball and big data. What do you think about all of that data? I, I am apprehensive to call it analysis, uh, data collection at the college soccer level. Um, like, do you think that makes sense? Yeah, so I think, uh, no. So I haven't ever been in a situation where, as a player, we've, we've used data. Um, I think that the data that's being used in soccer currently, and I would imagine this is in other sports as well, that's more for, um, you know, it could be for coaching, right, to examine trends in the other team, but I don't think that that, that information would be relayed to players. I don't think it would ever be a case where they would tell, like, the players on the team, hey, they only complete 30% of their passes in this area of the field or something like that. I don't think that's necessarily useful to tell your players. Okay. Um, I think I think that the way they're using data is more to find players that fit their team, whether it be salary related or that kind of thing. So I guess since you've been both a player and now a scout, as a scout, what tools do you, what technology tools do you use to identify players? Or I guess even more broadly, what's the process? Like, does the head coach or GM say like, "Hey, Mikey, we need to find a left back," or like, how does it work? Yeah, it's twofold. So you have. You know, you have your, your typical player profile that you're looking for. So you set parameters on the types of players you want. So if you're playing a certain type of system, a certain defender might fit, right? If you want to have your outside backs attacking, you need an outside back that can attack more. So you start at your team level and you build what your team wants to look like. From there, you, you go to what players fit that team role, right? So each individual position, how that fits into the bigger picture. And then you try to guide your scouts into finding that type of player that fits. Um, the way that you do it, um, there's a couple of things. So, you know, data can play a part in that part of it, um, whether it's age, uh, their transfer. Pr- you, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Where do you get that data from? Oh, there's a bunch of different sources. In soccer, it's mainly coming from Opta. Um, Why Scout has some of that information as well. But Opt is the big data source. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it is still done through through video. So I do 
a majority of my job consists of reviewing players online um, through Scout, And then uh, once you have a player that's identified, there's still a, a large element of it is going and seeing this player in, in person because there's a lot that you can see by actually going out and seeing the player um, firsthand as well. Okay, so let's say you know I were the fire coach and, and we were playing a four four two, and I wanted uh, a, a defensive center midfielder who could possess the ball um, and also get box to box. Like, how would you just go through that task? Like, even in Y Scout or whatever tool you use, like, where would you start? And like, how do you, like, how do you even find ten guys throughout the world that you know are a good value for that position and fit the mold? Yeah, so I think you could first start by looking at distance covered in the game. Um, how much distance that outside back's covering. You could look at the number of crosses that they're serving, right? If they're, you know, and also where they're serving them from. So if you have a player that, an outside back that's, you know, serving, let's say, I don't know, 12 crosses a game from the offensive third, that player typically gets high on the field a lot. Um, And then also the, just the visual side of it, right? So watching a game and seeing a player that, like likes to get forward and spends the majority of his time getting forward, um, that kind of thing as well. So, so basically like you'll, let's say what, like Wyo scout has some data filters in there. So you could maybe filter by some of those things. And then instead of, you know, having 500 guys to look at, maybe there's like 15 and you actually then watch their tape after looking at the video. Is that roughly the process? Um, Cause I'm just thinking like, man, there's a million outside backs out there how do I even know who to watch a video of? Cause I only have, you know, 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Good question. Um, I mean, we don't, I wouldn't say that we have a perfect answer for that. Um, you know, I think that what you implied would be a good search for it. Why scout doesn't necessarily have all of that information, but Opti definitely does. Um, and then you just need ways to start to manipulate the data and find it from there. Cool. Uh, that makes sense. So it sounds like soccer hasn't really perfected this and uh, like, obviously it's complicated. So it seems like the jury is still out on like what soccer metrics matter. So I guess if you were going to be a soccer data scientist and you could magically have any data, what metrics do you think would be most important in evaluating a player? Whew. So depending on position, um, I would say that, you know, you have your like big picture data, right? So you have your, your crosses, your assists, your goals, uh, your balls won, things like this that are all important. And then um, from there, I mean, each position is probably different. Uh, so you could look for, uh, I don't know, I mean, even even looking at non-ball-related activity, top-end speed, uh, distance covered, um, that kind of thing could be good. Um, I'm not really... I'm not really too sure. Um, outside of that, I mean, you could look at crosses, uh, area of the field in which players are crossing the ball, all sorts of stuff. Like one, two. But that's not. I don't really. I don't really get into that. Um, we have an outside company that we use it that we use that works with data, and then they'll send us like specific players that they think fit the profile that we want. Interesting. The way that. The way that works is usually we'll send them a player that we like, and then they'll run the data and find similar players that fit that profile. Okay, and, and, and that's with their own data, or like Opta data or something like that? Yes, Opta data. 
Yeah, the reason I asked that question is so I heard some like some wild data metrics were like, you know, how often your center backs are facing your own goal <clears throat> or like the distance, the average distance between the player highest up the field and the player furthest back on your team, um, just in terms of like analyzing, you know, how the team is performing or if the system works well. So I was curious if you had any sort of crazy thoughts on that. Um, but it seems like you guys focus on sort of the fundamentals and then go to video. Yeah, I'd say a lot of that stuff that you're talking about is still kind of in an experimental phase. Um, and most of my experience is still as a player. So the majority and getting into this other side of it, I'm starting to get introduced to that stuff, but I wouldn't say that that stuff, that data part of it is really that prevalent on the player side of things. Um, there might be some stuff going on behind the scenes and some teams that are more advanced than others, but um, not from what I've seen for, as, as a player. Cool. So, so we're talking professional soccer here. What do you think about uh, this craze in high school and club soccer of creating highlight reels for recruiting? Um, do you think people are doing it the right way? Well, I think that, well, yeah, there's a, I think there's a large portion that still need help with this. Um, I mean, I had somebody when I was cutting video the other day, somebody that was just looking over my screen and asked me if I could cut a film for their brother. So I think that there's still a lot of people that need help with this. And I think that, you know, it's definitely a useful tool. I still find myself getting interested when I see a good highlight film. Um, so you know, I think that it's important and I don't think it's really that easy um, to do. And do you think, so I know a lot of kids just looking at their videos will just have their best plays or what in their opinion are their best plays. And you know, if someone's going to play division one soccer, maybe they're not going to be dribbling around people, you know, the same way they are in high school. So do you think they should be having a strategy in terms of what clips they upload based on like what position they think they'll play in college? Or do you think they should just stick with kind of their best footage? Yeah, I don't think you should just post like your goals. I think you should go through it and, you know, think of probably your, your strengths still. And then cut it that way. And also make sure to add more context than just video. So the person that's watching your video knows what they're looking at. Um, and I think that if you, you know, even something similar. So the way I do a scouting report is I'll put a little description on the type of player. So let's say offensively, you know, this player does a really good job of finding spaces between the defensive and midfield line and turning. So I'll put that in, in, in words and writing and then at the end of it you can add a video clip where it shows examples of this happening this will give the person that's reading and also watching your video more context um, into what you do and just give a little bit more background and help them kind of see what you're trying to get them to see cool that definitely makes sense to me uh, and then switching gears a little bit um, obviously we had the world cup last summer and have had some Champions League controversy already this year. So do you think the role of VAR has been positive or negative so far? And, like, you know, how do you think it should be improved if you think it should be used? I think that I think it should be improved, and I think it's still the referees that are failing uh, more than the video. I think that the video is, like, a lot of times I'm watching games where the video is there, it's clear what just happened, and for some reason the refs either don't look at it or look at it and still don't get it right. So um, I think that there's still, a, I think it should be there. It helps get the proper result. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement there. 
Cool. Yeah, I think some people's knock is that soccer is more gray than other sports. Um, and, and some of these things, like you said, like it should be clear, but it's almost like when they go to the video, sometimes uh, it seems like people are even more confused. So maybe rule clarification or something like that would be helpful to firm it up as a, a more useful tool. Yeah, I mean, refs, refs are just clueless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I see games, I see games where, and it's also like, what do they look at? There's a lot of plays in soccer games that, you know, that could be reviewable. So I think they're just hesitant about getting like, doing it, do, 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 doing it too frequently or something. Yeah, for sure. It's Because it's so controversial. I can see how they might not want to be the guy who like, gets that controversial call quote unquote wrong from bar. That wouldn't be too fun. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. So a couple, uh, just a few more questions. Um, these are just kind of more fun and for people from people who are less involved in soccer. Um, so my friend John actually had this question. So he's a big football and basketball fan and he always, you know, sees players who are sometimes really good, but it doesn't look like they have the tangibles. Uh, so you couldn't point to like stats or, you know, physical attributes that make them really good. Um, so in soccer, what would you say, you know, how can you tell if someone has, you know, that it factor or not, or, or is really good, even though it doesn't look like they should be? Great question, because it is so important in soccer, a game where there's like not as much scoring as other sports. Um, so like, how can you judge the positional awareness of a player? Um, you know, a lot of that is watching them consistently. Um, so just like, you know, if you see a player who is just like always seems to be in the right spot and the person he's always playing the ball to always seems to have time on the ball. Um, a lot of that is not measurable. So you're right. I don't think it's easy to find. And I think it takes a really well-trained eye and, and somebody who really knows the game to be able to identify those players. Um, and then the other thing that's still a big part of it is, is doing references and checking background of different players from, from past coaches and, and teammates and things like that as well to see the kind of player they are um, outside just from what you see. Yeah. So like, let's take an example here. Um, so why, why is Xavi Hernandez, the former Barcelona player, good? If you just watched him play, you might think, if you didn't know much about soccer, okay, this guy's just connecting passes. He's not dribbling. He's not scoring. He's not really assisting but he's considered the best Spanish player ever, arguably. So what about him particularly, like, would you say makes him so good? Some of the things that I touched on. So uh, the, when you're like advancing the ball through your team, um, those, those players that are in the middle of the field kind of connecting things, the, the better positions they find, the quicker they play. Um, and, the, you know, the better decisions that they're making is going to allow that next player who gets the ball to have more opportunities to make a play. Um, and that next person that gets the ball is not necessarily the one that's scoring. That might be the one that's getting the assist or taking somebody on. Um, so a few things to look for there would be, again, the spaces that they take up, um, you know, the, the ideas that they have on when they get the ball. So seeing the next play that they're going to do earlier than other players, uh, avoiding those extra couple touches where, plays can start to close up on you um, and the technical ability. So being able to actually, actually execute on, on the other two parts of it. 
Yeah, that that makes sense um, for sure. So this is going to be a really stupid question. So someone like that, do you think they would be just as good in college soccer where it's north-south and it's much less tactical than what he's used to playing? I mean, Javi would be, but uh, Javi would dominate college soccer, if that's your question. But um, like other – like similar in level, but those kind of intelligent players, do they exactly. sometimes get overlooked? Absolutely. Um, you know, you see that a lot. And that's part of the reason why you need to get better coaches with a better eye on what to really be looking for as opposed to just finding guys who are you know, athletic or good dribblers or whatever the case may be. Um, so finding, you know, people that have these ideas can find it and then, um, you know, properly identify and help, help those players continue to move to the ranks. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing that we talked about before, so when you were on the Deltas, um, you mentioned, I think, that you guys were fitness trackers or sleep trackers. Can you share a little bit more about that? And if you thought that was helpful. Yeah, we spent a lot of our, uh, from like the physical side, you know, we, we spent a large portion of our like focus and energy on actually recovery. So instead of, um, like always exerting energy, whether it's working out extra or speed training, whatever the case would be, which we did do that stuff. It's not like we were not doing that, but we also, we put a big emphasis on recovery. Um, and you mentioned it. So we use sleep trackers. Uh, and with those sleep trackers, you would get a, a rating the next day on how well you slept and how much energy you'd have the next day and all of that stuff. So that was, I would say, a big part of our success on that team because everybody – was always fresh. Um, and then when the games came around, we didn't have players that were overtired or I think a lot of coaches overtrained. So, um, were you ever surprised that, that by data like that, that you're like, damn, I didn't sleep as well as I thought or vice versa or any data that you found interesting from the sleep tracker? Yeah, you would. I mean, just because you slept for what you thought was nine hours would not necessarily mean you got the best sleep. So, you know, that was, I forget what it, it was like looking into, it's been a while since I looked at this, but it was, there was some kind of like sleep index. It was seeing like the quality of sleep you were getting, not just that you were sleeping. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Like that seems like a new area and I've heard more and more people talk about it. Um, I think I need to do a little more research into how sleep is measured. Um, Cause I, frankly, I don't know much about it, but it's super interesting. Um, so it's really, it's, it's some kind of cycle, isn't it? Like a, I forget. There was like REM cycles, maybe. Is that a thing? I think so. But I don't know if that's like the, the new thing or the old thing. It's so hard to tell. It's hard to keep up with all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, I think it was something like that, but I forget. But yeah, it would like tell us, Hey, you did really well or you didn't do really well. And it would not just be based on hours of sleep or anybody could do that. Yeah. Um, so a different question from someone else, just curious about soccer. So have you ever like in, in scouting, have you ever watched a video of someone and, and been really confident, like, you know, this guy is really good. And then, you know, either the team signed, uh, signed him or, you know, via some other method, you realize like, wow, this guy actually sucks. Um, basically where the video <laughs> lied or you just like totally got it wrong. Has that happened to you yet? Yeah. It happens to me like every time I like a player on video, um, <laughs> <laughs> like every player that I've liked that video that I've seen in person, I haven't liked anymore. Um, the reason for that is that you don't get to see 
when I'm watching video, it's still, I don't have access to any special camera angles that aren't on a broadcast. And what you see on a broadcast is where the ball is. So a lot of times you won't, you don't get an idea on the player, like positionally also what the player is doing when he doesn't have the ball. So you could have like a guy who's really good when he gets the ball and the rest of the game is taking a sleep in the middle of the field and you just have no idea. So going to the games like usually helps with that a lot. So if you could watch 180 degree camera video, like it would be miserable for a spectator because you wouldn't see a close up. Would that be more helpful for you as a scout? If you just saw the whole field in one panoramic video? Yeah. I mean, the more, the more, uh, angles that I could get are the better from, from a scouting perspective. Um, I haven't ever had that, so I can't really say for sure that it, I know it would be better than just watching a broadcast. I'm not sure if it could completely replace going and watching a player in person, but if it could, that would be awesome because it would save a lot of time and energy. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that, but that's a good point. Um, you're right. I guess they could just be walking around the field, just chilling. Um, cool. So last question uh, I have is if you could give anyone uh, advice on how you think they could make the best use of video at the youth and college level, what would your suggestion be for how they should use it? I think the best way to use it is still to show examples of other teams. Uh, I think that like there's for a youth and, and college coach, there's tons of examples of teams who have already like, whatever's your system is, there's already a team somewhere in the world that's doing it. So, or has done it. So, you know, I think take advantage of those, um, take advantage of those resources. Um, don't, don't use video just to like harass your players and show them all the things that they did wrong. Sure. You know, you can, you should definitely show examples of ways and players can improve, but I don't think you want your, your video review sessions to be focused on like talking about all of the negative things that your players did. Um, and that's where I think that, you know, looking at other players or other teams and also other players in similar positions to the guys that you want to improve, uh, can be really useful. And so just to be clear, you're talking about like professional teams that have a similar formation. So people who are executing well, on a particular approach. Yes. Yeah. And most, I mean, most systems and position, whether it's an individual player, there's a player that's playing that position the way you want them to play it on some team professionally. Same with teams. There's a, there's a team out there um, that's doing it the way you want to do it. So, you know, don't be shy about showing players examples of that. That's, that's really interesting. Cause that's basically like the opposite of what everyone does now where they invest so much time and money and, Sort of like criticizing their own players. So you're, you're basically saying that's maybe not the smartest and focus on the system instead, which makes a lot of sense to me. Interesting that that doesn't seem to be as commonly used. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like anything. It's Usually the players know that they're making these mistakes. I don't think that like telling somebody that they did something wrong, I don't think is as useful as showing somebody how they can do something right. Yeah, I would agree, uh, both from an improvement and also psychological standpoint. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, this was super helpful. Mikey, thank you. Thank you.